It's the final installment of our read-through. And we're reading to the end of the book. It's as simple as that today. Balls to the wall. Balls on the table. Balls everywhere. This is as close as Tywin Lannister gets to begging for his life, calling somebody stupid and then claiming that he's already outflanked them. That's his whole game. So, and he clicks into it seamlessly, even when taking a dump. And you could almost imagine that coming from a place where he's practiced in front of the mirror. This chapter centers around this, this beautiful garden and covered in this blanket of snow. Sansa starts to, uh, to starts to rebuild Winterfell. It's quite nice, isn't it? Yeah, but the thing was that it was far too lovely to be in a George R. R. Martin book. So I was just waiting for it to get shit up. Yeah, you didn't have to wait long. Justice. Hello and welcome to Shark Liver Oil's coverage of A Storm of Swords by George R. R. Martin. It's the final instalment of our read-through of A Storm of Swords. This is episode 13, called Mockingbird. I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. And we are reading from page 468 in the two-book version. If you've got the one-book version, tough. It's a chapter about <laughs> Sam. It's you basically... just don't give a shit. Brilliant. <laughs> We're reading from a chapter about Sam, which begins, He sucks harder than mine. <laughs> carry on, carry on. And we're reading to the end of the book. Yes. It's as simple as that today. Balls to the wall. Balls on the table. Balls everywhere. (laughs) Have you been reading a different version of this than I (laughs) have? He sucks harder than mine. That's all I'm going to say. Well, let's find out if that's true. Yeah, just before we get started, it's worth saying, um, if you've watched the series as far as the episode called Mockingbird then watch the rest of this series before you listen to this podcast. Because of the way the book does things in different order, um, there's a big moment in this part of the book. Uh, about six happens... big moments in this part of the book. Yeah, well, there's one in particular which gives the which gives the uh, part its title, which happens earlier in the series. So if you're watching the series and you've not watched past the one called Mockingbird, you're going to get spoiled for the rest of the series. And by series, I just mean sort of the end of the TV version, series four. There you you thought sh- you got away with it, didn't you? This ham- you ham-fisted you- attempt at, yeah. <laughs> this ham-fisted attempt at trying to avoid spoilers for people. So we just get into it. If, you, yeah. if you're reading the book, this is where we're up to. If you're watching the series and just you're just curious about the book, then, you know, you're going to have to just live with it. Yes. You Fuck ready? you. That's what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're not. We love cha- you. We love you. Carry on. This chapter about Sam. This chapter about um, Sam. Mm, Val and Gilly uh, having this conversation, which involves he he sucks harder than mine. He's a baby sucking on the breast, uh, suckling on a surrogate mother's teat. Um, he's nowhere is- near as lurid as I was expecting. To be honest, <laughs> I read that line and I thought we're in. <laughs> yeah, I thought we were in Molestown, but obviously not. Uh, <laughs> It's the aftermath of the battle, and obviously, the last we heard at the wall, Stannis had sort of appeared and started kicking ass and routed the wildlings. And now we're at, we're at Castle Black, and uh, yeah, it's the aftermath. Sam's got this plan, which he speaks to John about, about sending Gilly away. He wants to send her to his dad's house down in uh, 
down in the sort of, I don't know, the southern part of Westeros. And uh, he thinks if he pretends that she's, like, he's, I don't know, someone is... Wench. Yeah, he's wench. And the the child's his bastard, then um, she'll be okay. And he thinks his dad might be quite impressed that he's managed to father a bastard. Um which says a lot about that father-son relationship. Oh, doesn't it? My word. I mean, I kind of we knew about this from when Sam was introduced, but I somehow managed to forget what an unbelievable tool Randall Tarley is. Mm. Yeah. There's um there's this oh, Sam won't tell his secret about uh, Bran to John. He promised cold hands that he wouldn't tell Bran that he wouldn't tell John that he'd met his brother Bran at the night fort. So he's not doing that. Um, and he feels he feels a bit bad about it, but uh, you know, such is life. I suppose. I suppose. I suppose if you are gonna make a vow to uh, creepy, poorly explained, um, scabby skinned individual, <laughs> you've got to take that stuff seriously, haven't you? Really? Yeah, yeah. You don't want these clammy hands coming after you. Oh, oh! Can you imagine? There's also an election going on at the wall at the moment, and it's to elect the new commander of the Night's Watch, and it looks like. Janos Slint is gaining ground because he knows how to play politics with this kind of thing, doesn't he? Because democracy is for chumps, honestly. Yeah. There's one place in this entire world where people have the opportunity to choose somebody worth being led by, and they're going for Janos Slint. Yeah, not ideal. <laughs> there are a load of um, people's names put forward. Uh, various, I mean, there's Sir Dennis Malister from the Shadow Tower, who seems quite a front runner. There's Cotter Pike from uh, East Watch, which is the other side of the wall. And these two guys both hate each other, which probably means they're going to split the vote. And then you've got Janos Slint coming up. There's a couple of other guys who don't look like they're going to last very long. And some comedian has put Dolores Ed's name forward. <laughs> He's just throughout all these election chapters. There's all this serious political wrangling going on. And every so often he just pops up and goes, I still don't know why I'm here. <laughs> I really don't want to be here. <laughs> I love that he still stands up, though, instead of just kind of slumping into his own. <laughs> just being like, no, of course I'm not doing it. This is ludicrous. Instead, he keeps kind of participating in this charade. <laughs> People vote me the happy party. <laughs> Every time you get some, it's basically just say, "Look, we'll, it's gone far enough. This, will you please stop putting my name But uh, Sam is uh, sitting back, twiddling his thumbs, and thinking about whether he should get involved here. Maybe try and uh, find a way to influence the vote, because obviously, a Janos Slint win would be very bad news for everybody. Except Janos Slint, presumably. Yeah, although even for him, because he can't handle it, he's, he's going to be put in a position which he can't manage, I'd say. Actually, uh, that's very, very true. So out of compassion for Janos Slint, if nothing else, we should be pulling for um, pulling for another character. Yeah. Uh, next up is a chapter, Stay on the Wall, chapter about John, And uh, he, he meets Melisandre, who comes to fetch him from the yard and take him, him up to meet Stannis. It's weird that, as he's in the lift with Melisandre, he says he's not cold because she's sort of not exactly dressed for winter. Mm. And she says, no, the, the red god keeps me warm. And she sort of touches him, and he, she feels really warm. So it's just another example of how she's kind of weird. Yeah, that is odd. 
there's some Actually, kind of there's real. something else there, isn't there? It's not just her bullshitting, as we've seen with the Shadow Baby. Yeah, yeah, very, very true. Um, I, I quite like this coming together of these two storylines. I'm, I'm a massive fan of working out how all of these plots are supposed to have any kind of interaction with each other. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah. So I like, I liked it. I also like the fact that he like that this was kind of. I, I felt a bit of integrity on John's part here, where he wasn't just kind of. Oh my God, she's so beautiful. Um, you know, he, he, you know, he wasn't just kind of set to follow her instantly. Yeah. So, so this meeting, yeah, it's great to see these two stories come together. There's this meeting between Stannis and John, um, and Stannis isn't falling for the propaganda put about by Sir Alistair Thorne and Janos Slint that John's a wrong one. Mm. Uh, Stannis is aware of John's worth, isn't he? He's sort of made his mind up for himself. Yeah. Um, Stannis also says that he was convinced to come over by Davos, so which, which explains the sort of the notes that Davos gave as his sort of last line of defence. Yeah. But the thing that made me think here, for all this time, for the entire rest of this book, such as it is, there's no sign of Davos. Where's he gone? That is an excellent question. And I don't know. I mean, uh, so there's, I suppose there's a great chance that he's, um, he's back on Dragonstone, sort of keeping it ticking over. He's the hand of the king after all. Mm-hmm. And I think Stannis has any sense, Stannis has any sense he's going to travel with both the Red Woman and um, Davos mm. as little as possible. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that would make sense. But you're right, he has, for a POV character, has just dropped off the face of the earth. Just, my first thought here was, is he dead? Did Stannis execute him? Oh, I certainly fucking hope not. Because he kind of, he said, he was about to, wasn't he, when yeah. the chapter ended. And then Davos says, look, I've got this note. I mean, it's entirely plausible that Stannis goes, that's a fair point, we're going to head up to the wall, um, and then I'm going to have to execute you. It's just very, the kind of thing that Stannis would do. That is very true. Um, Although he does he does speak as though he valued Davos's advice. Like he kind yeah. of, like not just kind of from a, oh, yeah, that will benefit me, but kind of from a moral standpoint as well, because he says, says something I think is really true. He was like, you know, I had it the wrong way around. I was trying to, um, what was it? I was trying to win the throne so I could save the realm. Hmm. And actually, what I need to do is save the realm so I'll win the throne. And that's very yeah. kind of Stannis honourable reasoning. So um, so I, like, I, I would be surprised if in response to that, Stannis killed him. On the other hand, Stannis has this like totally stark moral code, which I, I could well believe him doing what you just said, just sort of like, yeah, grand, wicked, you're absolutely right. That is morally correct. No benefit accrues to you because of that. You fucking turn cloak. Yeah. It's a sword. Um, yeah, because there's a chance that he'd say, you're absolutely right, I'm going to change my course now, but you still did what you did, and therefore, you know, there's a punishment for it. Yeah, but I the know. thing is, is, in Stannis' way of doing things, would machinations against the Red Woman count as, like, as treason? Oh, I suppose, that, yeah, no, the problem is that he, he took Edric Storm away, didn't he? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're right, I mean, yeah. I th- you could make a fair argument that that wasn't treason, but I think only somebody like Stannis would possibly listen to it. Yeah. I really hope he hasn't killed Davos. I really yeah. do. Yeah. It's just weird that he's gone without a trace and no mention of what's happened to him. Yeah, although that happens quite a lot towards the end of these books. That not yeah, everybody cool. gets their kind of dramatic concluding moment. Mm. Uh, do you know what I mean? Like, like Daenerys is just kind of left ruling somewhere. <laughs> no, that's not very yeah. dramatic. She just stops. 
but since her whole story <laughs> has been stopping and going, that's not yeah. like it's not a particularly great dramatic high point. Um, so um, you know, I don't know. Hmm. Uh, there's this offer from Stannis to John. He is going to make John the Lord of Winterfell, and I assume Warden of the North. Uh, plus, he gets a he gets a wife, Val, who's um, this hot body wildling lady. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not going to ask how long it took you to come up with that as a way of describing Val. <laughs> and John's kind of always dreamed of having this, and now it's an offer. And it's like, I suppose it's a it's a fairly shrewd one by Stannis. He says he needs the North, mm. and uh, John is a uh, is the next best guy to take it for him. Seeing as uh, Ruth Bolton's knocking about now, um, does he want to get on board? What did you think of this offer? Oh man, you could feel John's dilemma, couldn't you? Like in this, because it is everything he's ever ever wanted, and um, and I think it was really smart that part of his kind of thought process on this sort of touched on on Catelyn kind of turning Rob against him a little bit, um, mm. and just kind of goes back to that sort of that pain that he must have felt as a child, um, you know, for as long as he could remember being the son of the guy the oldest son by the way of the guy who 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 is the lord but who was never going to get to kind of be part of that you know it must feel mm. like an entire life with your with your nose pressed up against the toy shop glass mm. so you really feel it personally though i think this is a terrible decision i think like you know i think he's he's got and we'll see later on in this chunk that like he's got kind of a night's watch He's got a loyalty to the Night's Watch, which actually I think is where he's more needed. You know what I mean? Like Winterfell, mm. Winterfell is is kind of caught up in the Game of Thrones as such, and mm. but the Night's Watch are actually, you know, for all that they are a festering grab bag of the worst characters in Westeros, they're mm. doing something I think which is more noble and is becoming clear is really the point of the story. Um, mm. So I want him to stay on the wall because I want more. I want more battles at the wall. To be honest with you, I thought that was that, that whole sequence against the wildlings was great, and this whole situation is really interesting to me. Mm. What did you think? I agree. Um, the only thing that pulled me towards hoping he would take it is just this idea of just this yearning for justice. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> the fact that Roose Bolton's knocking about. If you imagine John as sort of reuniting the uh, northern lords against this usurper and yeah, yeah that would be great uh-huh. but you're right that he's also got a pretty important job to do here even more so by the end of the book yeah and there's yeah. and and he would like no messing around this would be turn cloak and no mistake mm. you know like one time everybody thinks that he turned his cloak but he didn't but there's no ambiguity here this is the king turned up on the wall and said here's a massive castle plus how is he going to rule the night's watch after that like he's going to be he's, he'll be a rubbish warden of the north because the night's watch won't listen to him mm. so you know i think i think this is kind of it's like a poison bonbon i think it's not mm. it's not going to do what he, what stannis is hoping it will do <laughs> a poison bonbon that's exactly what i said i'm sticking by that <laughs> All sweet on the outside, but once you get inside... It's poisonous in French. (laughs) Okay, let's move on uh, for now to Tyrion. Mm. Tyrion's in his cell, waiting to die. The the cell door opens and he's sort of... He thinks it's his his executioner come to take him at last. And he's ready to go down fighting. And it's Jamie. And it's kind of funny because this is... In the book, this is their first meeting since way back when. Um, since probably I think Winterfell, when they left each other on the uh, 
yeah, on you're the right. King's Road. Sort yeah. of like episode one. Um, <laughs> so this is their first reunion. It's quite sweet, actually. They obviously get on well, don't they? And yeah. there's, a, there's definitely a, a love between them that you wouldn't get between um, Tyrion and Cersei, for, for starters. <laughs> yeah, but there's a love between my shoe and that pile of dog shit, which you wouldn't find between Cersei <laughs> and Tyrion, in it? Yeah. Um, Jamie. I mean, he releases. He's come to rescue Tyrion, basically, and he, he gets him out of the cell, and he's taken him to a passage. He's saying, you know, that we're going to get you out of the city. Tyrion says thank you in a quite a, in a very you know genuine and humble way. And Jamie kind of misjudges the situation because there's a bit too much sharing, because he mm. tells this story of. I mean, there's this story that we heard ages ago with Tyrion where his first love was this girl that he met on the road and had this whirlwind romance and married her within a week and lived in this cottage with her for a week until Tywin found out and it turned out she was a whore mm-hmm. and to punish her Tywin gave her to to his men and then made Tyrion get involved afterwards and paid her yeah. paid her coin for it yeah. and um Jamie confesses that she wasn't a whore uh, and she was innocent. And yeah. Tyrion, it's like, it's just like the relationship just explodes, doesn't it? And Tyrion yeah. doesn't want anything to do with him anymore. Yeah, yeah. I tell you what, this absolutely knocked me sideways. Because this has been part of um, of Tyrion's identity for like the whole book. Uh, only mm. whores could love him, right? You know, hence the relationship with Shay, where he's he's kind of willing to show a, a vulnerability which he was never willing to show to anybody else, and which ended up screwing him over. Mm. Um, and and that whole kind of complex, and and so many of the decisions that he's made, and so many of the weaknesses that have brought him low, uh, are all completely made out of Tywin Lannister's like extremely tenuous assertion that just because this woman was poor and she was involved with a rich man, that made her a prostitute. Mm. And like, and you know, I, you know, that's before we even get to the monstrous way in which he decided to make that point. Mm. Um, so, so I was, I was absolutely floored by this, and I think that says a lot about how, um, how like how well written Tyrion is as a character. Because I'm just feeling it, like I'm just so conscious of what this must do in his head. And any yeah. other time, I'd be looking at the overall relationship, and I'd be going, no, no, because you see, Jamie's a very powerful ally, and and you know, and you know, he likes you, and nobody else likes you, you know. Don't. But in that moment, I was like, yeah, fucking right. Like I can't, mm. you know, to know that and keep it from him is appalling. I was, yeah, I mean, bosh. This is this was like a this is this is an end of book plot moment and no mistake I was just I was astounded. Yeah, and <clears throat> Tyrion to sort of he he actually strikes Jamie doesn't he and Jamie yeah. says I guess I deserve that yeah. and um, Tyrion says well you deserve more than that and you'll get it in time he threatens him and then he has a few because that worked well for his... Tyrion in the past didn't it? <laughs> yeah he's got a few home truths of his own um, including. Uh, Cersei is a lying whore. She's been fucking Lancel and Osmond Kettleblack and probably Moonboy for all I know. Uh, so that, I mean, I think that's going to tear Jamie's world apart a little bit because he, yeah. he's been, for all the weirdness of it being his sister, entirely devoted to her, hasn't he? Yeah. And yeah. I think assumed it's the same way. Yeah. Um, so that drops a bomb on that relationship. And also, Tyrion lies and... Uh, claims he killed Joffrey 
such as his such as his sort of hurt yeah. and uh, anger towards Jamie, he's just saying anything to upset him now, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And and it works clearly. Mm. Um, I wonder if this will come back and bite him on the ass because now he's got the Lord Commander of the King's Watch going. Yeah, he confessed it to me. Mind you, he's going to die in the morning anyway. Yeah. Uh, so Tyrion leaves Jamie and what um, wanders off to to Varys, who's waiting for him further down the hall to to get him out of the city. Uh, they go through these horrendous black cells on the on the bottom. There's basically the cells where prisoners are kept. The black cells where people like Tyrion and Ned Stark are kept before they die, and then the cells even further below that where people are just taken to be tortured. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tyrion has to wander through there, and they finally get to a passage which is right underneath the Hands Tower. Mm. And basically, there's one way out of the city and another way up to the hand, to the room of the Hand of the King. And Tyrion says, I'm going up there, leave me to it. And Varys is kind of Varys kind of says don't do it, but then gives him very precise instructions of how to. <laughs> yeah. Did you get that? Yeah, I really did. And it's particularly now that it's described, like when he describes the journey he takes up to the the, uh, the Tower of the Hand, there's no way he could have done it without Varys, and Varys knows that. So Varys is yeah. like, oh Lord, no, please don't. And you can almost hear him in his head drumming his hands, hands together and going, excellent, excellent, chaos, <laughs> yeah. mayhem. Yeah. <laughs> you must not go up the... 379 rungs of ladder and then take the 234 paces right until you come <laughs> and above all remember that the password you must not use <laughs> is strawberries alright yeah. okay strawberries no nice thanks <laughs> yeah so this is um this is Tyrion enraged isn't it just going he's going after his dad now yeah because of because of what he's found out from Jamie. Mm. um I mean <laughs> The thing is, if this is, if Varys does kind of want him to go up there and confront confront his dad, I'm not sure why he would. But if he yeah. did, I mean, it doesn't happen if Jamie doesn't tell Tyrion this story, does it? And I don't think Jamie would have. I think Jamie genuinely just decided it's time to, you I'll know, fess up. Yeah, to to clear the decks almost and come yeah. clean. So it's a bit funny this part of the this part for me but regardless Tyrion's on his way up to settle the score with dad um he he wanders down these little hall little sort of corridors which are next to the main corridor so you can this is basically how Varys gets his rumors isn't it he wanders through these with his little birds and uh listens to conversations Tyrion can hear two guardsmen joking about Shay and uh how Tyrion's going to die tomorrow hmm yeah. It's quite a nice insight into just how Varys works, isn't it? Yeah, 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 it is. Yeah. Because um, we haven't had much of Varys recently, have we? Like, he's just no, called, no. like, for the last book or so, he's just kind of popped up whenever you need whenever you need something underhand and secret to happen. And yeah. don't be wrong, you know, he plays that role to perfection. But, um, but I always do like seeing it because I have a sense of a much bigger and more complicated world which contains all of the plot I could ever want. And, yeah. and it's all hidden in, in Varys's powdery palm. I also think there's an element of Varys just keeping his head down, because I think him and yeah. Littlefinger are diametrically opposed, and when Littlefinger's really on the rise, isn't he? Yeah. And I think that has meant Varys's influence has drained. Yeah. So he's, yeah. he's kind of... He's keeping his head down for his own purposes as well, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyrion reaches the Hand of the King's Chambers... He finally finds the uh, hidden doorway which he'd been looking for all the time through Clash of Kings when he was living here, and it's behind the fire. 
Uh, he walks in, and there's someone in the bed, and he hears Shay um, say, "My lord," and there's this there's this um, heartbreaking moment where Tyrion uh, thinks something like, "You know, that would have hurt." once when I still had feelings yeah. and he's just he's so shattered isn't he that he just yeah. doesn't care anymore yeah yeah and it oh yeah this he, is so heartbreaking this this yeah. whole sequence is just absolutely heartbreaking because you've got this character that you identify very very closely with absolutely falling apart and yeah and this is just you know this really kind of in a way that's far more personal than the courtroom scene feels like a much deeper betrayal that was public this is just straight to the mm. root of it he finds Shay in his father's bed uh, wearing the it couldn't, it, they couldn't have staged it more to like to piss Tyrion off and upset him and twist yeah. the knife could they um, she's wearing the, the chain that he used to wear the, 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 the hand of the king's chain yeah. around her neck yeah. um, and in the end he I mean he, he speaks to her first um, as he's getting ready to kill her yeah. and she pleads for her life and then he strangles her with the chain mm. and he says these words do you remember from the, the song that that Simon Silvertongue wrote of him and Shay yeah. and tried to threaten them with it and it's uh, hands of gold are always cold but a woman's hands are warm and he says it as he's, as he's killing her yeah. and it's just I don't know it feels, the last episode with Arya felt like that was the sort of almost breaking of a character and I don't know I feel that we may be seeing this with Tyrion as well now a lot of the goodness mm. may be being kicked out of him here yeah 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 although kind of the rest of this char- chapter kind of does make me think that maybe what's going to happen is he's going to um, like that this is him getting out of his system like mm. whereas with Arya I had a sense of him not uh, a sense of her kind of not really knowing what to do and kind mm. of just going off the deep end in a way. Like, she doesn't really have a moral compass. She's a kid. Mm. So uh, Tyrion goes on. He, he selects a crossbow from a line of weapons. There's a little bit of a... I've got to admit, in the middle of all this, it was really um, emotional, and I felt every bit of it with Tyrion. But the, on second reading, there's a little surreal moment where he's choosing weapons off the wall. And it's kind of, it just reminded me of that bit in Pulp Fiction where Bruce Willis is picking the different weapons to use he's got a baseball bat and a do you ever seen that bit oh yeah 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 i thought of <laughs> i liked um uh i thought it was a bit like hot fuzz you know where you yeah, walk. Well, yeah i think is is that a parody of pulp fiction i think so oh i, I don't know I, you might be right actually i'd never thought of that because i just i just i i love that whole kind of there's a sea mine in a flipping, in a flipping barn. Um, but you're right, actually, yeah. He's kind of walking, and he's like, kind of, the, the baseball bat. Yeah, yeah, the gun, the big the katana. I'm having the katana. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Tyrion selects, um, in his version, the crossbow. And uh, he thinks there's a problem because he's only going to get one round off if if the guards burst in. But mm. he basically doesn't care anymore, does he? Yeah. yeah. He finds Tywin um, on the toilet. He's on the privy, and um, <clears throat> it would be funny in any other circumstance, wouldn't it? But yeah. it doesn't yeah. feel funny here. No, that's true. It's funny because <laughs> Tywin's on the shitter, and his son turns up with a fucking loaded crossbow aimed at him, and his reaction isn't re- remotely fear it's sort of 
he's like telling off, he's reprimanding a, a wayward son. Yeah. He's like, you don't have the guts to shoot me, Tyrion. Put the crossbow down and we'll talk about it. I've yeah. got a plan to save you anyway, so don't worry. Yeah. Um, do you think this plan to save him is genuine? He says, I'm going to send you to the wall anyway. Is this Tyrion, is this Tyrion trying to plead for his life? Or yeah. is it him genuinely saying this nah, is what's Nah, no, on? I think, I, I, I mean, weirdly, such is the smoothness of Tywin as a character, I kind of believed it for a second. But no, of course he didn't have a plan in place. This is as close as Tywin Lannister gets to begging for his life, calling somebody stupid and then claiming that he's already outflanked them. This is what it looks mm. like when Tywin Lannister bags for his life. And, um, and it doesn't work. Yeah, I don't, I'm in two minds. The first time I read it, I thought it was, he's begging for his life. The second time, I thought, I don't know, it probably, he might have a, still have some kind of plan to get him up to the wall, because he doesn't want, he doesn't want to kill his kids. And he draws the line at that, of many other things he will do. And also, his whole, his whole attitude here, even to the point of where Tyrion dares him to say whores again, and he says it. He's almost mocking Tyrion. He genuinely, and he, when he gets shot, yeah, he, he's just shocked. He can't believe he's done it, and I don't yeah. think he's. I don't think it's even crossed Tyrion's mind that he's in. He's in genuine danger. I, oh, well, all right, okay. I suppose you could be right there. Although I still don't think that means that he had a real plan. I think that's just him going. Mm. Okay, clearly this is what's going on, and what one does to bargain in this situation is say that I've yeah. got a plan to get you saved. Um, you're right, actually, he does look quite surprised. So maybe it isn't him begging for his life. But I don't believe that if he were ever in a position, which he won't be, where he actually literally thinks he has to beg for his life, that he would do anything other than this. Because his whole yeah. kind of armoury is about condescension and being richer and being more powerful and already having the plan. That's mm. his whole game. So And he clicks into it seamlessly, even when taking a dump. <laughs> and you can almost imagine that coming from a place where he's practiced in front of the mirror, just, you know, being found in various compromising situations and clicking straight into, listen, you fool, I'm in charge. <laughs> yeah, as well. He's too proud as well, isn't he, to beg? Oh, there's no way he's Far too proud. Yeah, so, so Tyrion, basically, there's this conversation. Tyrion's got the crossbow leveled at him. And Ty, they talk about Tysha. And Tyrion can't even remember her name and says... He's completely remorseless, isn't he? And says, well, you know, you were rich and she was poor and she was, even if she wasn't, you know, actually a whore, she was as good as, because that's the only reason she was sleeping with you. And um, and Tyrion says, you know, when, when he says the word whore, he says, call her that again, you know, and I'll yeah. kill you. And then she's, he says, where, um, where did she go? You know, did you kill her afterwards? He says, no. He said, where did you send her? She said, he says... He says, "Wherever whores go," and that's the that's the that's the straw that breaks the camel's back. Uh, Tyrion tightens his finger finger on the trigger and uh, crossbow bolt into the groin of Tywin. And Tywin's just like, "Yeah," as we said, he's absolutely shocked, isn't he? Yeah. Um, and he says to Tyrion, "You're no son of mine," and yeah. this is this is why I was worried about the character Tyrion from here on. He says. So he's to, to to Tywin. Um, you, you're wrong. I am I am you, writ small. Hmm. Yeah. Basically, I'm, we're, we're exactly the same. And I just wonder if there's a, it, the book's trying to t- show you this parallel between Tywin, where there was a a ruthless but also a a more human side to him, which disappeared when his wife died, and oh. whether whether Tyrion's following the same path now. 
I totally hadn't thought of that, and I think you're right. Oh man, that sucks. I mean, it's going to be a sight to see, but I'm quite sorry to see Tyrion the pan, the chance of Tyrion going over to the dark side. Although there's definitely there are problems with that, I suppose, insofar as uh, Tyrion definitely doesn't have this um, massive hard on about his family and the family line and how everything's yeah. about yeah. his motivation isn't the same is it yeah although the i don't know maybe some of the things that form your your character and your, your sort of your, your light and dark inside you are uh, have been formed in a similar way to his father here and that the the chapter ends with a almost with a joke at tywin's expense uh which really brings such a powerful character down to earth doesn't it yeah and that um Tyrion smells uh the smell as his father's bowels let go. Yeah. And it says, uh, yeah, Tywin Lannister, it turns out, didn't shit gold after all. It's quite a good line. <laughs> it's the yeah. closest that we're going to get in Game of Thrones, isn't it? To the kind of, ice to see you, or whatever. Like the, the kind of really cheesy line walking away as the thing explodes. Yeah. Kind of action movie shit. Um, but yeah, I was astonished here. And it was such a simple but brutal retelling as well where it talks about you know like it's gone all the the crossbow bolt has gone all the way in up to the fletchings and mm. and then he just kind of lets go and dies and i was like I, I, another it was another occasion where i had to read it again i was like nah mate <laughs> nah, what tyrion Lannis is dead yeah like, it was it was that exact father ted Revelation moment. The fucking hell. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I I mean, what do you think here? There's two things. I think it's it's kind of exciting to think now Tywin's gone. What on earth's going to happen politically in the city? Oh man, it's going to go to shit. Yeah, he is keeping it all together, isn't he? Or he yeah. was. Yeah. But at the same time, it's Tywin Lannister. He's one of the for me. He's one of the best characters in the book, mm. and he's gone now. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What did you think? Yeah, uh, yeah. From that character standpoint, I mean, I, Cersei is somehow going to have to double down on the malevolence. Um, mm. Either that, or or you know, Littlefinger returns. I can mm. definitely see that happening. Mm. Uh, so, should we move out of King's Landing for now before it goes to shit? And uh, <laughs> onto, good idea. Let's get out where the game's good, <laughs> and uh, onto Sam back up at the wall, and uh, Stannis has got all the candidates in front of him because they've, after 10 days the Night's Watch still haven't chosen anybody to be the leader and uh, Janos Slint is creeping like a motherfucker isn't he <laughs> <laughs> he's trying his absolute best but it's it doesn't work on someone like Stannis especially considering Stannis knows about the corruption that was sort of dogged the gold cloaks in King's Landing as Janos Slint was when Janos Slint was commanding it Yeah, yeah. he sat on the small council and heard all this evidence about how Slint took all these uh, bribes to promote different people, yeah, and uh, and how Robert King Robert wasn't bothered, uh, and he's King Robert's brother is a, a much different fish, isn't he? Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I quite like this about Stannis because I thought, you know, he, he sort of he isn't being taken in by it, and I don't know, it was just sort of a a mark in the good column for him. What do you think? Yeah, actually, I really agree with that. Um, I t- actually, all the way through this sequence with um, Stannis on the top of the wall with John, and then in the way he deals with Janos Slint here, I start to see Stannis as something other than a kind of henpecked, sweaty-browed loser, basically, who's just kind of 
you know, petulantly demanding what he believes should be his. And mm-hmm. I kind of saw the other side, like the kingly bit, where he's able to look at Slint and where Slint is kind of playing everybody else. He's like, kind of like, fuck off. It like, <laughs> just absolutely shuts him down. And, um, and the same on the wall as well. Like, John, who's quite an imposing character himself, is clearly um, under no illusions as to who's the boss in that conversation. Mm. Yeah. So I, this kind of made me warm to Stannis in a weird way, um, more than it has done when he's been stuck on Dragonstone bitching about the rain and the throne and all the rest of it. Yeah, I think he's finally doing something, isn't it? Yeah, and also other than uh, other than surreptitiously ha- killing his family members in the name of gaining power. Yeah, he's also got a plan. I mean, he's gonna he's gonna basically says the Night's Watch can keep the three castles the garrison at the moment but you've not got the men to garrison the rest of the wall so I'm going to take over it I'm going to garrison the rest of the castles and we're going to keep night fires burning all along the top of the wall and we're actually going to do something to defend it and uh, I mean it's brusque and it's typical Stannis insofar as assuming that the Night's Watch are going to give up a lot of the castles without a fight and he yeah. also wants the uh, the land just behind it so we can settle the wildlings there which I'm sure will go down a treat but um, at least there's a plan you know yeah. because yeah. we've spent two books just three books just thinking these cookie monster zombies are coming from the north and <laughs> the, the Night's Watch isn't remotely prepared and what are they going to do at least there's at least there's a plan now yeah um, yeah you are absolutely right like um, but at the same time I th- I don't know, I have kind of a... I've discovered a, quite a regard for the Night's Watch and their, their whole thing about being independent. Because if they're not mm. independent, that's the first step to them ceasing to exist. And I think, actually, it's probably quite a good thing that you've got a load of people who are up on the wall doing their thing up there, um, mm. you know, for such a time as this. Yeah. Um, but I don't, know, I don't see how they're going to turn him down because he's got a massive army and they've already fought two battles and nearly lost. Yeah, that's I'd, very much his thinking as well, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. There's an element. There's an element of his brother Renly in that. Yeah. Do you remember when Renly had the numbers over Stannis and was just like, "Well, it doesn't matter what you say. I've got the numbers." Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's it's true. a very Baratheon trait, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> so we can only yeah. hope the Night's Watch don't start having shadow babies because that would be <laughs> that would be gruesome. Yeah. Yeah. He's also mining Dragonstone because it turns out there's loads of dragon glass. Beneath Dragonstone, uh, kind of makes sense, I suppose. Yeah, so, so we've the got, name. <laughs> yeah, so we've got a uh, possible source of because the last time we even came across Dragonglass was up at the Fist of the First Men, and they left most of it over there. Yeah, so they need a new supply from somewhere, and it looks like they've got one for the time being. He actually says, "I don't think we're going to keep Dragonstone for much longer, uh, but for now, we're going to have a supply from there." Military genius that that is. Like I tell you what, I've got a source of the the weapon that's going to help me to finally win the war that I think I'm here to fight. Yeah, probably going to let him take it off me. To be honest, I uh, I just see no downside to that plan. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, I, the thing is, it's a rock and a hard place, isn't it? Because either he takes, he, he needs men to defend the wall. Yeah, and he needs he needs them to have dragon glass. So he needs men to mine the dragon dragon glass. Yeah. But he needs them in both places, doesn't he? Because if he sends a good portion of men to defend Dragonstone, which would be a lot of men, yeah, uh, they can mine all the dragon glass in the world, but if they've not got enough men on the wall, <laughs> it's yeah. going to be no good. Actually, that's very true, yeah. Although he did sort of turn up on the wall in a twinkling. 
of the plot. Yeah, true. So there is there yeah. is a bit of me that's like kind of oh, all right then. <laughs> must be a fairly swift commute from Dragonstone to the center of the wall in the north. That's an interesting point you make because the one of the criticism of one of the criticisms I've heard of George Martin is that he struggles with scale. Mm. Um, how far things are away from from people and yeah. how big things are. I think I think he he struggled with getting the walls the size of the wall quite right insofar yeah. as how big it is in relation to how long it would feasibly take someone to climb up it yeah. and all this kind of stuff. <clears throat> I, I actually and yeah, think people really do travel true. distances. Sorry. Yeah, people travel different distances and different you know, odd times sometimes. Yeah, when it's kind of convenient for the plot. I mean, I'm not complaining because yeah. Stannis has got off his arse and done something, but um, yeah. but you are right. I mean, I actually read an interview with George Martin where he was talking about the first time he saw the mock-ups for the wall from the TV series. He was like... Well, that's far too big, and they were like, "It's <laughs> it's as big as you wrote it." And he's like, "No, yeah, it's seven hundred foot tall. Yeah, but it's not that big." Like he just <laughs> totally didn't conceive of what a seven hundred foot wall of ice would look like. Yeah, do you know what's interesting? Uh, this because it's it draws on medieval history. This does actually mirror medieval history quite well insofar as writers at the time struggled with scale and oh, really? how it took to do things. Yeah, I remember I did a medieval history bit on the Crusades yeah. and there was like estimations of how long it took knights to get over to different places and sometimes it was roughly right and sometimes it obviously had the best guess and were, were way out like even a superhuman knight couldn't like, you know, they, they left I don't know. They left Normandy and you know in France, yeah. and five days later they turned up in Byzantium and Constantinople, <laughs> modern day Istanbul. <laughs> it's actually not possible. That's it. In oh, full oh, armor way, as well. The, yeah. By the way, in full armor, going over land. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I suppose that, that that does actually there's an interesting parallel between the the period he's trying to. Uh, draw his inspiration from and some of the problems he's faced. But, brilliant, brilliant. George Martin is so into medieval history that he's enacting it himself, in himself. He <laughs> is he writes the it. inaccurate medieval scribe. <laughs> Next thing he's going to be insisting, he can only write the seventh instalment of the book series on, like, vellum skin or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Oh, the other thing is... St- the other thing I quite like about Stannis... Uh, I don't want to just go into a big old gushing rant about him, but um, yeah, because that's how, that's not possible. I don't think there's any way yeah. in the universe one could be genuinely gushing about Stannis. Yeah, but it's just how Melisandre's always coming out with the Azora High Reborn stuff. Yeah, and every time she does it, he looks so uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's so close to being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, uh, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like at school if you like, your little brother said. Uh, Oh yeah, my, uh, my my big brother's this this and that, and he can do this and that, and they're like, all right, all right. <laughs> uh, don't build it up too much. Uh, he just, He's the he best fighter that. ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah top ten. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who are you? Who are you? Yeah, he can have you. Hang, hang on a minute. <laughs> whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> he is gonna fuck you up. Hang on, hang on a minute. Hang on, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Maybe not fuck him up. Maybe just, you know, talk him round. Or... <laughs> Can we settle it over a game of chess? I don't know. <laughs> I love the idea of status. Finally, like in the moment, if he reaches whoever represents the cold god or whatever it is, you know, the evil god from the north, you just turn up yeah. and be like, "Listen, she's got a bit carried away with this Azora High <laughs> stuff, but I mean." 
can we have can we just get a coffee can we just talk it over <laughs> oh it's hot sorry yeah. sorry bit insensitive um <laughs> frappuccino <laughs> yeah this massive super thousand foot high ice monster bursts out of the mountains and goes Rawr! who challenges me and Melisandre goes here comes Stannis bringer of light he's gonna fuck you up <laughs> well, well hang on a minute Melisandre hang on a minute let's <laughs> talk this through <laughs> I never said that though did I let's be fair <laughs> we can live together can't we <laughs> peaceful coexistence between the extreme of light and the extreme of darkness <laughs> that, that was my plan all along, woman. I don't know what you're complaining about. I actually quite like the idea of Melisandre standing on a mountain, pointing at this monster, going, He's gonna fuck you up! <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I would love it if she totally lost it then and just became like the drunk girlfriend on a night out. Go on, fucking have him! Fucking have him! <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Anyway, yeah, so he's, he's uncomfortable with the, the name uh, Stannis's. And also. Eamon asks to have a look at, or you know, through Sam's eyes, look at this flaming sword that Stannis wields, and Stannis duly shows him his fantastic enchanted sword. <laughs> Sorry. I thought you were going to get through that as well. I thought you'd soared over that, but... No, oh, no. We're, back, we're, we're back at he sucks harder than mine. <laughs> That's that's the shark liver oil way though. Like, why bother <laughs> with the stars when you can walk quite happily through the gutter? Yeah. Um. Look. So, so there's this there's this weapon, this sword, which is a, uh, it glows with a fire, and uh, Eamon's not that impressed. And later on, he says to Sam, "Did you feel any heat off it?" And Sam says, "No." Mm. And Eamon's a bit concerned that kind of I think the true legend suggested that the the the, the blade was actually almost. On fire, you know, fire made yeah. steel. Yeah, yeah. So again, every so often there are just questions over how. It, I know Stannis doesn't entirely believe it, and whether he really is this legendary character, mm. or whether Melisandre maybe got it wrong. Yeah, yeah, and I think we tend not to think of Melisandre getting it wrong as a possibility, but actually she's just one of these clerics of Fridor, isn't she? Mm. Like. Um, you know, so we've seen Thoros of Mir, he's another one. And he doesn't seem to be bothered in the slightest about what's going on in the north. Yeah. Um, you know, and perhaps perhaps we're gonna find out, like perhaps, you know, I don't know, if if Daenerys ends up in um in Mir or something. Uh, she'll end up talking to, you know, whatever is the central organising authority of this religion and they're like, No, her, she's mental. Melisandre, she is off the hook. She's got some mental ideas, nothing to do with us. <laughs> and it's just gonna turn out that she's just making it up. <laughs> it would be quite the uh, quite the achievement, wouldn't it? It would be. I reckon that's what's going. We've got plenty of books left, Matt. Loads of narrative time. You've got to got to fill it yeah. with something. Yeah. The uh, the next bit as well. Uh, Sam here. The main thrust of what Stannis is saying to these uh, these various candidates for the Lord Commander job is: Look, I've not got all day. I've not well. I've not got all week, all year, all month, whatever to sit around waiting for you to pick a fucking leader. So pick one quickly, or else yeah. I'll pick one for you. And the problem is that it, Janna Slint is still on the rise, and, and Stannis says, you know, if you pick him, I'm not going to like it, but I'll, I'll live with it. So Sam decides to intervene. He's got these two um, other possible candidates, Cotter Pike, as we said, and Dennis Malister. They're both polar opposites of each other. They hate each other, and they'll vote for anybody else before they vote for 
each other. So Sam thinks, well, maybe there's a third way. Maybe we can engineer somehow to get John elected. Bear with me. <laughs> so he, um, he visits each one of these guys in turn, Cotter Pike and Dennis Malister. Although very different they are. He meets Cotter Pike and he's this guy's gruff, rude and tough, isn't he? Mm. And then he visits Dennis Malister and he's pompous, arrogant and tough. <laughs> the other <laughs> thing they share is, is this toughness. And yeah. then beyond that, they're completely different. Yeah. And Sam does the classic playoff where he says... Uh, I know you don't want to vote, you know, Cotter, Pikey. I know you don't want to vote for old Dennis over there. But maybe you could vote for John, because he's, he's got a something about him. And Dennis is like, hmm, maybe, yeah, but I'm not sure. I still think I'd be better. Well, <clears throat> the thing is, Stannis, uh, Stannis said to me that if you don't choose someone tonight, he's going to pick uh, old Cotter Pike over there. He's going to pick old Dennis Malister over there. <laughs> And then he does the exact opposite with uh, with with Malister. He says, uh, "Yeah, yeah well, whew. just heard from Stannis that like, he's going to pick old uh, old Pikey if you don't uh, if you don't get something sorted tonight." It's brilliant, isn't it? it it's is. genius. It's br- I, and it's because it's Sam as well. Sam, this guy who can barely walk three steps in a line without doubting his own bravery, is the guy sitting there with his knees knocking and telling a transparent lie to two people with a lot more nous than he has. <laughs> and they're still yeah. like, uh, uh, is, really? He said that? Bloody hell. Well, I mean, I, I better get on board then, don't I? Like, <laughs> he does it as well. Magnus, Sam's first victory. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next up is John. So we're staying at the wall again. A lot of lot of chapters up at the wall in this part. Mm. And um, John's wrestling with this uh, this decision whether to take... Stannis's offer has become Lord of Winterfell, or whether to stay in the Night's Watch and get executed as a traitor once Janice Slint um, gets the inevitable Lord Commandership. Tough decision for him, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, but <clears throat> even when he's in the yard training, he has this memory of Rob. When either, I mean, there's a real sense that Rob and John were best friends, weren't they? Even though, they, yeah. like, despite the issue of John being a bastard when they were younger, yeah, he's always practice in the yard. But even Rob used to say to John or said in this one occasion you can never be Lord of Winterfell because you're not a Stark and it's just all playing on John's mind he goes for a, a walk uh, out beyond the wall as you do mm. and um, he's pretty much decided that he's going to take Stannis' offer and become the Lord of Winterfell he's always wanted it mm. when Ghost comes out of the mist or yes. out of the trees um, he's back because he last saw him when he, before he climbed the wall and he thought he'd lost him for, for good yeah and he's back and I don't know there's something about the dire wolf and the eyes which I know mimic the eyes of a weirwood tree and it just brings it all back to John that Winterfell isn't his place to be and yeah. he needs to accept it yeah yeah and I find it was really interesting and like great integrity in this decision where he's kind of reminded of what he of his identity, you know, and his beliefs and and his like and the relationship that's so important, the relationship with his wolf, and it all kind of boils up and he's like, Yeah, I'm not doing that. Mm. And um and it's face such integrity, you know what I mean? Like this this thing that he's kind of been conditioned to want since birth. But he's like, actually this mm. doesn't this isn't the right thing to do. It might be what might be what I've always wanted, but that doesn't mean it's the good thing to do here. You know, there's something better. Mm. Yeah, so he 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 heads back to the hall. Mm. Decision made. And you know what they say, Dave? 
one door closes, another door opens, and um, it turns out that uh, all the Night's Watchmen have been locked in the hall now until they come up with a decision as to who's going to... Stannis has had enough now, and he's saying, look, <laughs> you're staying in that hall until you decide who's going to be the leader. <laughs> it's like choosing a Pope, isn't it? But like with a bunch of <laughs> yeah. drunken... Like, just like <laughs> ne'er-do-wells making the decision instead. <laughs> yeah. Stannis and Melisandre up on the wall watching for the white smoke coming out of the, <laughs> out of the Great Hall. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it is that, isn't it? They're under lock and key, and it's like, you're going to take as many votes as it takes, you buggers. <laughs> um, so, John's name's been put forward, and this is great, because Slint can't believe it, and neither can Alistair <laughs> Thorne. And it all turns to away from them, doesn't it? And it's fantastic to watch it slip away from these two utter, utter bastards, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and you kind of do want there to be a character there who can represent us enough to just constantly be like, so, uh, jog on. <laughs> Sadly, yeah, there is no um, such character, alas. <laughs> the thing that seals it for John is that they bring the kettle out, which is the place where the um, everybody sticks their vote into. And when they open it, Jorah Mormont's raven bursts out, calling snow, snow, snow. Hey! Yeah. And then, um, and then when, like, someone accuses Sam of playing a trick, the raven says a couple of other words as well. Mm. And that, um, that is enough to, to tip it for John, and he, he gets elected... Here's an interesting question. Here's a theory which I've come across. All right. You know, um, Oral is a warg and he disappeared into the bird, mm. the wildling dude, and John can do it a bit as well. Mm. There's a theory that Mormon could also do it, and that was why this bird was on his shoulder for like ever. Whenever you saw him, this bird was with him. Oh. And, and the even at Craster's Keep, when yeah. he died, the bird was with him. Yeah. And that when he died, a bit of him ended Stayed up in, in the, the bird. bird. And that's why it's kind of, this bird's doing weird stuff. Do you know what? That's quite credible. That's certainly more credible than the Varys is a mermaid theory that we came across. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm always a bit We've wary. got to go back to that at one point, haven't we? Oh, we really so... must. <laughs> I'm always a bit wary when you start saying, I've come across this theory on the internet, and I'm like, oh, I... <laughs> Have you? But actually, yeah. I find that one quite plausible. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. And I really hope it is, because I quite like the old bear. Yeah, it's quite nice to imagine him still having some kind of some kind of horse in the fight, isn't it? Or yeah. bird in the fight. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lord Snow, as uh, Sir Alistair used to enjoy calling him to take the piss, is now literally Lord Snow. Brilliant. Um so Dennis Malister comes over, he's ever the courteous... Uh, I quite liked that guy, even though he's a bit pompous and vain and arrogant and mm. talks about how highborn people are better than everybody else. He's still in, in just unimpeachably courteous no matter what happens, isn't he? He's Mr. Yeah. Genteel. Yeah, 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 very much. And I, I do like and, that. I mean, and of course it makes sense. He's hardly going to go over there and be like, fuck you, Snow, you know, because yeah. he's his new Lord Commander. Um, yeah. Although but, I think Alistair Thorne will probably do that. Yeah, I'll yeah. get you next time, Snow. <laughs> it is that, You win it? this one, Snow. You and your little crow, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, you are right. No, I like Malister as well in this bit. Like, yeah, you know, he's irredeemable, upper-class numpty, but at the same time actually manages to be decent about it, which is more than you can say for a lot of other people in that room. 
Yeah, and Cotter Pike as well, and he's his his gruff sort of pledge of allegiance, saying, "Let's you know, let's kick some ass." I think it yeah, it's that yeah. moment where, as John, you're thinking, "Yeah, this is going to be good." <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, yeah. There's, there's a big job on, but when you've got guys like that around, you, it's half the battle, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So he's the 998th Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. Um, is there a significance in this, by the way? Is this going to be oh, like... I was going to ask you, yeah. A thousand... I mean, because it's too delicious a number to turn down, isn't it? But, you know, mm. the idea of there being another two Lord Commanders before anything else interesting happens in the North kind of makes me cry a little bit. And I wouldn't put it past George Look, Martin John to 16. do that as well. <laughs> It's yeah. gonna be like yeah, yeah. it's gonna be like seventy years before anything happens. Exactly. I wouldn't be surprised. Well, no, but I mean, let's be honest. George Martin's form to this point makes it much more likely that John's gonna get horribly killed in his bed by, I don't mm-hmm. know, a snake or something just totally surprising, like just coming out yeah. of nowhere and killing him. Which a I really nice hope doesn't snake. happen. Right now, what mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to is how good it's gonna be. John in charge of the Night's Watch and the whole focus of the story. Have you noticed this? moving towards the north like mm. like you said they're on the they're on the wall a lot more now kind of telling the story at the end of this thing and you know the process that started with um ned stark getting his head cut off and then mm. rob stark and catelyn stark get killed and then joffrey gets killed and now tywin lannister gets killed and like the whole mm. kind of political situation that drove a lot of the tension through the first two books has completely evaporated so the mm. story has to be about something else and presumably that's going to end up being, you know, light versus darkness at the wall. And right in the middle of that is John. Really exciting. Mm. Yeah. One um, <clears throat> drawback to this is all great news, apart from the fact... Let me just paint a picture for you. Stannis is in his tower. He's got the Westeros equivalent of a phone next to him. <laughs> ring, ring. Baratheon Towers. Uh, yeah. Uh, what's that? Oh, finally, they've picked someone. Thank God. I, I, honestly, right, who is it? You've got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> of all the people they could have picked. <laughs> <laughs> and it's hardly like you can stroll in there and be like, but I offered him a different job and asked him to be a traitor and what? What? Yeah. I can do whatever I like. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's a wonderful scene. It's like... Come on. And I really wish we'd have seen Stannis' reaction as well. Because now I suspect, yeah. you know, the start of the next book, we're going to be six months in the future and it's going to be Stannis somewhere else sulking. Yeah. Um, I would quite have liked to see Stannis, like, stride in there and be like, what the fuck? Um, can, can I, I mean, semi-spoiler here, but you oh, may Are as well, we going inside well Matt's bunker of spoilers? We're going into the outside. We're in the we're in the conservatory. We're in the conservatory on Matt's bunker. <laughs> Do bunkers have conservatories? What <laughs> mine does. <laughs> I'm damned if I'm going to be in there in no decent light and looking to grow plants. And it is lovely, isn't it? Even on those dull winter days, there's just a lot more. Yeah. Uh, carry on. <laughs> um, you mentioned how you know the next when we next visit the wall, it might be a few months in the future or something. Um, a feast for crows. Mm. There is no, there is no wall at all. Oh fuck off! <laughs> oh for fuck's sake! <laughs> Unbelievable! I thought, I thought it as you were saying. Of course, all the stories moving towards the wall. <laughs> oh, you're I think, I think there might be, me. There might be a, there might be a little bit, but um, it's predominantly about 
the stuff in the south. It's going to be in the bloody prologue, isn't it? I'm going to open it up. I'm going to read that. I'm going to be like, yeah, great. We can bring it on. Yeah. Then he's going to be like, incidentally, more irrelevant plot is occurring in dawn. Like that's what's yeah. going to happen in it. Um, mm, yeah. <laughs> I think if I, I think if I remember, he Feast for Crows is uh, predominantly sort of King's Landing and around, sort of. As far as the sort of okay, I don't know, well, well, the neck. I'm looking forward to it, uh, and uh, and that's pretty much it. And then the Dancer Dragons is the first half of Dancer Dragons is about don't ruin it for me. Da- no, it, it, it's just general sort of structure. Yeah, about Daenerys and her story and the wall. Mm. And then, sort of halfway through the book, it doves t- dovetails, and then you get the whole thing again. But oh. we do split off. Oh um, really? So he started Fe- doing Feast for Crows. Yeah, Feast for Crows just just ignores, predominant for most for the most part <laughs> ignores the wall and across the narrow sea. Well, this is the, I mean this is kind of what we were saying before about like he's killed off all these characters. I I mean as well as the fact that it serves a plot. Also, I think because he's so sick to death of writing them all being in different parts of the world, just like right, yeah. he can either he's killed he's killed everybody and brought in the story a little bit, but you know now he's doing the yeah. other thing of just staying at King's Landing. Oh the, well. The, the one thing that will may, may make you feel you need to buckle up for Feast for Crows mm. is that most of the big character deaths and uh, all the good characters that he's killed have been in that area, which he's now about to focus on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That, uh, <laughs> well, it's all right, because we're not so, doing this until sometime, sometime later, aren't we? So I'm kind of, you know, for yeah. shark liver oil, I can kind of cleanse my palate a little bit and then come back and enjoy yeah. Feast for um, Crows. Some people love it, and... Um, I wouldn't say I'm not one of them, but um, I, don't, I didn't hate it. But it's yeah. I mean, when you get those two things, one is zooming in on one particular part, and two is killed off half the characters in it in the last yeah. book. Um, it does create issues. But <laughs> let's let's not get ahead of ourselves. That's for another cast, another time. Yes. Um, sorry if you feel spoiled about that, but I mean, come on. So <laughs> it's, it's not a plot point, is it? It's just the fact that you know what to expect. Oh, well, I don't know. Any complaints, sharkliverall podcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Uh, I'll tell you what, any complaints, send them to sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. Put the subject header complaint, and I, for one, will not read a single word that you write. <laughs> I thought you were being really canny there and trying to drive traffic. No, no. Why would we do that? Of course I'll read it. Of course I will. Send your complaints to sharkliverallpodcast at gmail.com. Actually, bonus bonus service, right, we'll either read them out on the show or I will record them specially for Matt in a variety (laughs) of angry voices and and make sure they're somehow played to him at night. Um, And that's that's my offer to you, listeners. (laughs) Okay, let's move on to Sansa. Sansa. We're We're not done with killing characters off just yet. Uh, two more, or oh, one more is about to go. Mm. Um, Marillion is his. <laughs> can't take the name seriously after you. Uh, what am I supposed to do? Are... He's a bard called Marillion. Might as well have yeah. called him Mick and Keith. Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. This guy throughout the chapters is a right wanker. He's, he's, he's strutting around the castle because Lysa has taken a shine to him, mm. you know, Lady Lysa. And he's practically stalking this. Uh, Sansa, mm. who, let's lest we forget, is still only a teenager, and um, well, 
the the whole most of this the, the whole crux of this plot in this uh, in this chapter centers around this snow garden, this beautiful garden in um, in, in the Erie, co- covered in this blanket of snow. Sansa starts to uh, she starts to rebuild Winterfell. It's quite nice, isn't it? And it's just a moment of her just being a being a teenage girl, I suppose. Yeah, and playing like there's been very little playing um, in in Game of Thrones the series to this point. Um, sorry, in A Song of Ice and Fire to this point. And, um, yeah, I really... This was quite touching, this was quite lovely, but the thing was that it was far too lovely to be in a George R. R. Martin book. So I was just waiting for it to get shit up. Um, yeah, but until, you didn't but, have to wait long. Yeah, yeah well, exactly. <laughs> but until that point, you're right, it is really nice, and I actually felt something for Sansa rather than kind of, you are very tiresome. You know, I kind of mm. really... I felt like I was kind of much more plugged into her story and her experience yeah uh, Littlefinger turns up as she's finishing off making this castle and uh, there's something in the air and yeah, it's not very pleasant <laughs> and uh, he he speaks to her about you know his first interaction with her is is just laced with creepy innuendo did you get this? Yeah. did I get so, this? this is Stranger Danger volume 2 from Peter Baelish <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, so Peter Baelish, may I come into your castle, my lady? Sansa was wary. Don't break it. Be gentle. He smiled. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, oh. And is, do you know what? In all the training of how to be a lady that she has received, did it never once, never once come up that if somebody starts bringing half baked, third rate innuendos like that, you kick him in the fucking fork? Like, <laughs> and run away. Run away! <laughs> Yeah. Or, you know, or you could carry on, you know, banter with the, him this, as he desires. Yeah. This ends in um, in him kissing her. Of course it does. And and not in a sort of surrogate father kind of way. Um, and then Robert, uh, before, like, anything else can happen, uh, Robert appears, you know, the little, little, Ro- no, little Robin, the uh, the Lysa's son. Yeah. He... Uh, he does his fantastic, uh, I don't know, he gives a nice example of how much of a little spoilt wanker he is by uh, knocking down Sansa's castle. With with great efficiency as well. Did you notice that? Yeah. Like, how many lines has he had so far in the entire, like, nine lines or something in the whole series? Yeah. And, um, and with great efficiency, George Martin's like, right, he's got to come in and he's got to fuck everybody off and he's got to do it in as few words as possible. Bosh, bosh, bosh. Yeah. And it, what is it? Like four lines of dialogue and everybody, everybody is back on. Yeah, he's a shit. <laughs> Even if you didn't know him. Yeah. Sansa um, responds by ripping his doll in half and uh, robbing us mental. He's, he's really upset. He's you killed him. <laughs> and uh, he gets sent to his room to be leeched because he's, cause he, he, he gets so upset that he has, his, he has these fits and he starts having one. Mm-hmm. So Littlefinger gets the maces to come out and take him to his room. And, uh, I mean, that might be a, a clue into why he is so sickly, that the the number one preferred method of trying to cure him is by sticking leeches all over his body, Bruce Bolton style. Uh, so Nice. Okay, that's where that little sort of semi-bid ends. And then shortly after, Sansa's summoned to the, uh, the High Hall, which is the sort of the ceremonial chamber of the... Lord and Lady of the Vale to see her aunt who's really I mean she's so angry she's borderline insane isn't she with it borderline she's she's if she's if she's got any relationship to sanity <laughs> she's approaching it from the other friggin side she's <laughs> yeah. gone 
I mean, this doesn't start well when Marillion, good old Marillion, escorts her to the to the hall, and then bars the door behind her. Yeah. And you think, oh, oh, something's going down. Yeah. Lysa is, as you say, she's insanely jealous of uh, anyone's relationship with Baelish, isn't she? Yeah. And this conversation where she's accusing Sansa of leading him on and trying to take him away from her. Yeah. And, uh, well, it's all wrapped up in this love triangle that existed way back when between Lysa and Baelish and Catelyn, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And how Littlefinger always loved Catelyn and Lysa always loved Littlefinger, basically. Yeah. Classic and uh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. They, and they kind of. I was, I mean, I was really amazed that like, I wasn't really amazed. I just thought this was quite deft the way that like it's very clear that both Peter and Lysa are being driven here by stuff that happened in their childhood, and mm. they're both being driven by the fact that Sansa looks so much like Catelyn. So Peter wants to kiss her. He wants to. I mean, and more than that, like there's a there's a real sense of that desire to possess because he was never with Catelyn and you know and Catelyn always kind of led him on and whatever and Lysa is insane with jealousy because Sansa looks like Catelyn so mm. like it's I, yeah I mean it was all of a sudden right at the end of this big epic book where you've been moving all around this whole world you know good versus evil battles it all boils down into this weird fucked up dysfunctional you know family vibe with shadows of the past and the rest of it and there's not a lot of people yeah. who can pull that off. Yeah. So Lysa, in her madness, grabs Sansa and takes her to the moon. Do you remember the moon door? The gold oh. moon door? It's basically a hole in the floor where you push people and they fall thousands and thousands of feet to the death. She opens that. I mean, it's terrifying, isn't it? And yeah. Sansa's on the verge of being pushed out of it, and you could almost feel the wind whipping at her, at her clothes, can't yeah. you? She's she's desperately trying it and she's slipping on the tiles as she's trying to push herself back in yeah and it takes Littlefinger's arrival um, to to stop it and he talks it manages to talk Lysa down mm. in doing so plots appear left right I mean plot <laughs> points left right and centre come flying out of out of Lysa's mouth yeah and one being that she was the one who killed John Arim on Littlefinger's orders, uh, she gave him the Tears of Lys, which is a, a very rare poison, and it was all to sort of be with Littlefinger. So it was a, it was an, it's so a Littlefinger made that happen. Yeah, and and also she, um, there's this really strange encounter when at Riverrun where uh, Lysa crept into Littlefinger's room when they were teenagers and slept with him. And Littlefinger called out Kat's name while he was with her. And then Lysa had a baby and it was effectively aborted because her dad made her drink moon tea, which is sort of, yeah. you know, the Westerosi equivalent of a late morning after pill, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and this brings it right back. Do you remember ages and ages ago, maybe the first half of Storm of Swords, where... Catelyn's remembering Catelyn's dad's dying and oh, he's saying yeah. well, I'm so sorry so much blood Tansy and, he, and she's wondering if she kind of remembers whether that's a pet name for her sister yeah and this all comes together now doesn't it yeah do you know what I'd completely forgotten that but yeah that's what it is so there was a bit of a red herring with some woman down in the um, down in the village called Tansy yeah. wasn't there <laughs> yeah. but yeah. no yeah. I mean this makes a lot more sense 
Yeah. Wow. So, and I assumed that I assumed that was to because, you know, Hosta Tilly had plans to marry her to somebody else. Obviously, John Arryn. So, mm. um, they had to. So, so he, he decided to get rid of the baby. God, see, there's. I, I just did feel a bit. Of, even though Lys is sort of almost killing Zanza here, I did feel a bit of sympathy for her because mm-hmm. she's. She has. She's. You can see why she's gone. She's ended up like this, can't you? Yeah, yeah, and you know, but man, of all the bad decisions to make, you know, at such a young age to fall in love with Peter Baelish, who's shown himself <laughs> clearly to be a proper psychopath, not just a slippery, yeah. co- slippery customer and a nasty piece of work, but a proper psycho. Um, yeah, yeah, and then he's uh, he's the basically the the final act here is he sort of talks. Lies her down from killing Sansa effectively, and then he's holding her by the moon door. Watch out! And <laughs> she says, "He says I've only ever loved one woman." And then he says, and she says, "Truly." And he says, "Yeah, only cat." And then pushes her out of the door. <laughs> this and, is whoa. Th- yeah, this is soap opera type scripting, isn't it? It's kind of like <laughs> I've only ever loved one woman. Really? Yeah, not you. Bye. Like it's again. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. EastEnders drums all over again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, say what you will about Baelish. Uh, he's a quick quick thinker because straight away he shouts to Sansa, get, let the guards in. Marillion's just killed. killed <laughs> all right for little and finger, just, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, and I could just, uh, I could just have this savage moment of like mirth where I just, I could just picture Marillion's face. <laughs> yeah, that's what, true. What? It's like, what? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> but oh, yeah. No. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. So I was very, very satisfied with this, but then I'm kind of, I'm waiting to see what kind of comes of Sansa's awareness of all this. Because she's not the most politically yeah. astute character, so it's not like she can then, you know, if she gets away or whatever, it's not like she's going to spend much time running around going, it's, you know, it was her, it was them. It wasn't what everybody yeah. thought. There's an element with Sansa still that, you know, when you said Littlefinger thinks this of her because of this about Cart and mm. uh, Lysa's like this towards her because of this about Cart, Sansa really is still, more than any of the other characters, the character that just things happen to, isn't she? Yeah, She's yeah, not very much. Particularly proactive. She just wanders around having things done to her. Mm. Yeah, 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 exactly. I've got, I hope to see that change. Although I would say that being caught in an impenetrable fortress, fortress at the mercy of Peter Baelish is not the place I'd want to start from if I was going to try and develop some, <laughs> some personal yeah. independence. Yeah. Um, let's move on to the last chapter the last of the book. Chapter. It's the epilogue, obviously. Yep. That's why it's called the epilogue. Uh, <laughs> I've just put epilogue and then stroke justice. <laughs> if you if you haven't seen this, um, uh, Dave, I know you have. There's a there's a date there's a satirical British news program which was around in there was it the eighties or nineties uh, mid nineties mid nineties called the Day Today, and one of the fake news stories they do is that they bring. <laughs> They use the corpse of someone who's been killed to, to to sort of press the button on the electric chair to kill the murderer, <laughs> and he's got this electrical voice. So he, I mean, it's funnier than it sounds. 
<laughs> so it's really macabre now. But he's, he's got this electrical voice box, this corpse, and the, that the little the little sort of body's hand goes over the button to press the electric chair, and it just goes justice, and then <laughs> presses the button. And this is just this just felt completely like that, but in a medieval context. <laughs> I can't believe you managed to draw a, a valid comparison between the day to day and Game of Thrones. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the epilogue is about a character. Whenever they do the prologues and epilogues, George Martin, he often picks characters with to be in the head of who aren't normal POV characters, who, who without fail die by the end yeah. of the chapter they're given. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, this is this is Merritt, who's one of the Frey household, one of the members of the Frey household. He is on his way to pay a ransom for another member of his family who have been caught by. It turns out the Brotherhood Without Banners, and it's a dangerous time to be a Frey because it's uh, he's thinking about how unstable the house is now, mm. because Walder Frey is going to die soon, and then there's going to be this almighty bloody battle to see who succeeds him, because he's had so many sons and daughters. Mm. Uh, there's quite a sad story of merit, really, even though he's a Frey. He was sort of a. Uh, you know, a lower son of of Walder, and uh, he he was a knight for a while, but he was a bit crap, and he he got defeated in battle twice. The second time he had this injury, which means he gets blinding migraines now. So he's a bit of one of those sort of on the scrap heap kind of characters, isn't he? And you really feel it. And he he, he thought Ruth Bolton. Do you remember he married Fat Walder Frey yeah. because of her uh, her weight? Yeah, she's his daughter, and he thought that might help him somehow he gained some influence again but he didn't and his one job at the his one job at the red wedding was to because he drinks all the time was to get the great dr- great john drunk which is you know it's the kind of job that anyone could manage and yeah. i suppose he needs to stay with him glass for glass yeah i quite liked how there's a there's a bit a memory of the of the red wedding i think it's page five five four seven and it's about the great john his job was to get to get the Great John so drunk he couldn't fight, and it said uh, it said the uh, the Great John had, had had enough wine to kill any three normal men, but uh, when he, when they came to sort of get him, the Great John still managed to snatch a sword off the first man, breaking his arm in the snatching, and it had taken eight of them to get into chains. He'd left two men wounded, one dead, and poor old Celensal Hay short of an ear. And I love this sentence. It says. When he couldn't fight with his hands any longer, Umber had fought with his teeth. And it's just, this guy is a monster, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can see why they they were desperate to get him wrecked. Yeah, and it still didn't work. (laughs) Yeah. It's no surprise that I think when Jamie's uh, caught, you know, he's he's wandered through the fields with Brienne as she's taken him back to King's Landing, and he says there were only one or two fighters in the Seven Kingdoms who could ever beat me. And he names the great John as one, and that kind of gives you an example of why, just the sheer power of the guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Merritt meets the Brotherhood, and he's got this purse full of gold to ransom his to ransom his family member back. And it doesn't go to plan for him. the The Brotherhood, ha- <laughs> to say the least. No kidding. The Brotherhood, the, yeah, the Brotherhood have already hung uh, his his you know Peter Pimple, whatever he's called, and. And they they string up merits as well and kill him. 
at the command of (laughs) Zombie Lady Caitlin. Yes! Yes! You can rely on George to bring in plot zombies at the end of any book, can't you? (laughs) I just realised something. Do you remember at the Red Wedding you said this problem with Catelyn's name is left forever? Oh, right? for fuck's sake, George. He's <laughs> <laughs> <It's> back. <laughs> Risen from the dead. <laughs> she who must not be easily named. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Dear what did you make me. of this, Dave? Because this is a this is enormous. WTF moment. This is absolutely enormous. Um, and, and you know, it's quite cleverly foreshadowed way back when Arya asked the asked Thoros of Mir whether he could bring her father back. Mm. You know, can you reattach your head? And they were, you know, they were, the impression you got then was like, yeah, 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 sorry, no. But, mm. you know, Cat, she's, she was dead for a long time. It's not like they just kind of threw her out with the garbage. But, mm. you know, but... And I, I really want to know how this happened because what did they do? Go search? There must have been hundreds of bodies from the Red Wedding, and they've gone searching well, through for Lady Catelyn in order to resurrect her for what purpose? I really yeah, don't know. It's strange. Do you remember this Arya dream a while back where she was a wolf and she was wandering around the sort of yeah, the yeah, aftermath yeah, yeah. of the battle at the twins, and she pulled her mum out of the out of the river, didn't she? Yeah, but why? And then she ran off because these guys had turned up with swords. So it suggests that that's them. But yeah, the question that, still remains, what were they doing? astounding coincidence, though, isn't it? Like, I'm mm. just going to happen to jump into my wolf and just going to happen to drag my mother's body out of a pile of bodies on the side of the river where it's just going to happen that these these outlaws are going to be wandering past and they're going to pick her up and come on. Like, mm. like I, don't get me wrong, I'm up for this because I think Catelyn was a great character. Um... But at the same time, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, you know, you better be going somewhere with this, George. Um, yeah. Funnily enough, you know, this was kind of spoiled for me somehow, despite the fact that it's not yet, or I don't know whether it's going to be the TV <laughs> the series. At the time of recording, yeah. At the time of recording, yeah. it's not been in the TV series, right? Because um, <laughs> I've got a mate who lives in Northern Ireland, and I was Skyping with him the other day, where they film... Game of Thrones and he was like yeah. yeah you know I mean it's such a small community around here I was in I don't know what he said he was like I was in Tesco's the other day and I turned around and then he bumped into Lady Stark and I was like she's dead and I'm oh you motherfucker I can't believe like what a way to get spoiled yeah oh my god what the chances of that you know what the, the chances of that happening are almost as remote of as uh, a child walking into a wolf and pulling a dead man's body out of the river. You are absolutely right, of course. <laughs> that is weird, though, isn't it? That's mm. really weird. Mm. Yeah. Oh. I, I, I was thinking because yeah, at the time of recording, we haven't. This hasn't. This scene hasn't happened in the series. How much is everyone going to lose this shit when that happens at the series finale? Yeah, she that's absolutely. Up. I'm kind of looking forward to that because the last time I was on the other side of this and I was ahead of the in the TV series ahead of the book, so I was like, when the Red yeah. Wedding happened, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and now, oh, it's delicious. It's awful, but I'm just kind of because it's going to happen in a couple of weeks, isn't it? And I'm going to be like, mm. yeah. <laughs> I knew, I knew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so the book ends with Merritt being hung from a tree, the Brotherhood Without Banners standing around, looking on, and reanimated corpse of Lady Catelyn looking up, going, Justice. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end of the book. 
<laughs> it just goes, yes, yes. <laughs> we've got to put that um, that on YouTube. On uh, we've put a link to YouTube on the Shout the Royal account. Yeah, that's true. We have to do just that. Uh, yeah, yeah. just just showing this. I think it is on YouTube. Just so you get, if you haven't seen it, just so you get what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you want to get involved in Shark the Royal uh, in any of the books we're doing. Uh, or just talking about the podcast in general. We're more than happy to hear from you, complaint or otherwise. <laughs> All you need to do is email sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can get us on Twitter, at sharkliveroil. I know what you're thinking. Facebook, surely you've got a Facebook presence. Don't worry, we've got you covered. Facebook, <laughs> just just search for <laughs> Shark Liver Oil Podcast and you'll find us there. Beautiful. You know what I mean? Beautiful. Yeah. Um, before we finish, because we're going to take a bit of a break now, aren't we, yeah. for the next few months. We're taking a summer break, but we will be coming back soon after that with, I think we're going to do a short book, not decided which one yet, and then we're going to dive into the Hunger Games. But if you've any suggestions for other books you'd like us to do, we've put it out there on Facebook already, but um, but send send some in to either the Twitter account or the Shortly Royal account. Uh, email account and let us know what you fancy doing what do you reckon Dave? yeah 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 I'm looking forward to doing the Hunger Games and we still need to decide what kind of palette cleanser we're going to do so if you know any particularly mm. short books that are really really great and we can probably do in like a single cast um, yeah let us know because I think we've done Game of Thrones in many 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 episodes same as the TV series but generally I don't know I, I, am I right in saying Matt that we want to do it in fewer than this like we, we generally look to like between one to three per book yeah, yeah. I think it's it's quite nice to get this sort of level of analysis into it. Yeah. Um, and we tend to try and do 100 to 200 pages at the most per episode. But most books are done in for the 400, 500 pages, aren't they? So you should, you yeah. should normally do one in three yeah. or four parts, really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, send them in. If you know any good, if you know any good kind of books that are quite quick to read um, but which are still good have good characters and good plot and the rest of it then um, then let us know uh, but mm. the Hunger Games is definitely coming down the pipe yeah in the meantime if you've enjoyed the Game of Thrones stuff we have done a few other books uh, in our back catalogue we've got a three parter on The Hobbit there's a four parter on a book called The Night Circus which if you want to see how we react to a, a book that we're at best lukewarm about <laughs> give that one a try <laughs> well the other ones we've done oh we did a, we did one called zombie apocalypse again actually zombie apocalypse i'd say we ended up enjoying less than the night circus. that's very true the night circus had one particular character whose strand was so bad that we just like it dragged down <laughs> it's become a shorthand but it's true to say that the night circus is a much 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 better book than zombie apocalypse zombie yeah. apocalypse though you don't really have terribly high hopes for because it's called zombie apocalypse um, yeah. But I tell you, actually, it is quite interesting to listen to those because you hear us go from taking it seriously to just being like, this is a fucking joke within a couple of <laughs> podcasts. And that's always fun to do. Yeah. The funny thing about Zombie Apocalypse, if you want to get it, I think it's a it's a really good page turner. So read along with us and, and, and give it a try. Uh, but at the end, I think the whole feeling is, I don't know, it somehow felt less than the sum of its parts, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although there are other instalments, so maybe we'll go back and do do some more. Maybe. Revisit the universe maybe. of the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, and then of, of course there's the, there's the one podcast, uh, first one we ever did, where it all came from, where the name Shark Liver all came from, which is our podcast of The Old Man in the Sea oh, by Ernest Hemingway. Classic. And we had a, we had a, we had a, to excuse the pun, whale of a time. Doing that. <laughs> I thought you were going to pull yourself back from that pun then, and then you just you just <laughs> dove straight into it. 
Yeah, and now I'm splashing around looking for some way to uh, to get back and floundering. Oh, you're gonna throw, you're gonna, you're gonna throw me a you're gonna throw me a life ring or what? Am I fuck? <laughs> Until then, Until next then. time. <laughs> See you later. <laughs>